0: Good evening and welcome to the Royal Academy of Arts. My name is Amy Blewett and I'm the Events and Lectures Coordinator here. Jonathan Ive is perhaps the best known for his iconic images of Dennis Hopper, Sienna Miller, Erin O'Connor, Tony Blair, Damien Hirst and Malala Yousafzai. His recent exhibitions include a landmark show at the National Portrait Gallery in London in 2013, followed by a mid-career retrospective at the Lowry in Manchester. His solo show, Jonathan Yeo Portraits, has just opened at the Lang Art Gallery in Newcastle and runs until February. It includes several major new works of Lily Cole, the Duchess of Cornwall, and a self-portrait titled Photo Booth Selfie. Joining him tonight in conversation is the RA's Director of Artistic Programs, Tim Marlowe. So without further ado, please welcome Jonathan Yeo and Tim Marlowe.
1: Um, in order to affect a dramatic entry, we've no idea what Amy said about us, or particularly Johnny, or, or what you've been told is, is going to happen, which is brilliant, as it should be. Um, I, I take full responsibility, but, and obviously all the credit if it's good and, and no credit if it's not, but um, for inviting Jonathan to talk about portraiture. But he wasn't invited um, as a Moroni expert or scholar, and this is not an evening. Um, that will be a a forensic analysis of Moroni. But it is really interesting to get a contemporary portrait painter's view, both of his work and the world in which we now are and where portraiture may be going in the future, but also using Moroni as a springboard. So having just been through the exhibition with Johnny and he spent some time up there, um, I thought I'd put you on the spot, Johnny, with just one or two Moroni works and just, talk about one or two issues um the first is this claim that is made art historically that i certainly go along with um about psychological realism and so on in moroni because in the context of of 16th century uh, western art he has this intense realism how does that resonate with you though now sitting here and having looked at these kinds of works Um, Well, um, I'm glad we are
2: going deep into Moroni from the start. I did did get a message from Tim the other day saying, don't worry about knowing too much about it. In fact, don't even worry about seeing the show if you don't want to. Um, We we won't talk about the video. It's really we just want a contemporary perspective. And it did just occur to me on the way over here that maybe this was a nice little bluff to set it up. um, uh, But no, I'm sure you wouldn't do that. Um, But yes, it's interesting. uh, We we were just saying this thing where you, you... I hadn't seen his work before this show, really. i mean, I come across it occasionally, but never really thought about it. I don't even really remember seeing any... Certainly not that up close. Certainly not the ones you've chosen in this show, which are great. You you might have seen this one at the National. Exactly. That's that's the the one that looks... um, It's actually sort of slightly faded and it looks different to the other ones in the room. But yes, the sort of... um, But apart from that one, I don't remember seeing the others. You often get shows which are built up as the great undiscovered master or forgotten painter be art history is left behind. Um, and uh, disappointed when you actually see it because it's just a way of, I think, luring people in. It's certainly the case with this show. It's amazing being there and that the reproductions in the catalogue and in the papers and everywhere don't do justice at all to the actual work, which is so luminous and fresh and sort of immediate. Um, I forgot your question, but it was something
1: to do with the sort of... Uh, <laughs> Whether it resonates with psychological naturalism, I think. But um, so, <laughs> <laughs> incidentally, what we wanted, I wanted your fresh eye. That's mm. why I said I didn't expect you to look at it. But of course, yeah, um, th- that's what we're getting now. Um, people look for the contemporary in the past uh, to a certain extent, and I'm interested in how much the past informs the contemporary in you, which we come on to in a minute. But you made the point upstairs that this. Man did seem of his time, but also of our time. So there was a kind of timelessness about him. Yes, I, I think superficially, I thought it was just the facial hair that made it look like he
2: could have been affecting a similar pose in Holston Square <laughs> last week. If you took away the outfit and replaced it with a sort of hipster thing, it it is. But it's, so it's the face and the whiskers and the yeah. Obviously, fashions come in cycles um, in art and thin clothes and everything, but. Uh, actually, what's interesting is that I think it doesn't. F- you know, this is a posed picture. Uh, they all, Of course, they all are. are people who are aware of being. They're about how they their, their painting done. They, they're thinking about how they're going to come across. But their body language in all the pictures is so natural. Uh, and the way the, um, the, the, sort of, the, the. The surface of the skin, the way the eyes communicate. Directly, it does feel like there are living, breathing people in the room with you. Um, <clears throat> and no, that's not necessarily a, a, you know, a key criteria of a great, great pages. In fact, in a funny way, we tend to remember um, portraitists for their, their styles, for their almost their, how how caricatured they are, because of how extreme the style was, or because of a recognizable characteristic that made them less like real people in a way. Um, and so. For me, this was—it was very interesting. I mean, that particularly, that, particularly that room of the—not so much the religious stuff, not so much the early stuff—but the uh, that room of the commission portraits. The room afterwards with the l- later works, which f- feel like they were things that he'd chosen to do, uh, and were less influenced by the sort of you know um, uh, stylistic sort of uh, uh, yeah, um, touches of the time, the backgrounds, the sort of. Um, uh, you know, neoclassical sort of things. He probably was, uh, it, it, you know, there was the general trends at the time. When once he lost all that, you really felt it. Um, so, yes, that, so that, that was the point. It's just that this, if you took away the outfit and the silly background, it could have been done last week.
1: Technically, um, do you find this, this artist remarkable? Do you think it, it's extraordinary he's not better known? Or as a technically gifted painter, does it just look accomplished?
0: It's
2: tricky to sort of compare things on an even field because obviously a lot of work from that period has, 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 has been damaged or the pigments have faded and have been badly restored. Um, obviously, your curator chosen a very good selection of ones in great condition. Um, the, I think that this, I mean the technique is extraordinary, um, and what's interesting is, is he's, it seems to be very consistent. I don't know if the backgrounds don't seem quite as well painted, but the clothes and the face, the skin tones, the hands are beautifully done. I mean, it's almost they're almost sort of distractingly so. It's almost like you know you you're, 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 they're sort of they're dazzling, and th- that in a way distracts you from the fact that. They're also very, very sensitive character studies. We were, we were talking just now about the fact there's only one drawing in there. He pointed out, and the feeling is that maybe he didn't do preparatory studies and work the pictures up from that, like a lot of artists would have done at the time. And I wondered if that wasn't part of it. I mean, the, the fact that, he, that he's, gone, he's probably gone straight in and uh, pa- immediately painted what he saw, um, rather than you know, done a sort of sketch and then taken that back to a studio and um, filled the rest in from his memory or the, it, it, in the, the artist's sort of like normal style. And so the things, the overall look of the work would have be much more standardised. Each one feels very different. Um, there's no sort of formula to the, um, uh, to the process or the, or, or, yeah, or the works generally. I mean, I think, that's, I think that was really, um, that stands out. I can't think of any other artists like that whose who's <laughs> work, where each one has such a strong personality of its own from that sort of period at all.
1: Interestingly enough, um, th- th- this is an um, a, a image of a woman. Let's just see this rather extraordinary uh, portrait as well with the most pronounced codpiece, I think, in the 16th century. Um, and I, I, I'm flippant to a certain extent, but I want to throw a point that Jonathan Jones made recently. Jonathan Jones, in a lecture here and in um, his Guardian Reviews, went off very deeply at a tangent about Moroni's depictions of men and women. He said that they're much more intimate, he's much more sensual and in love with the male physiognomy, the male form, than he is the female. And then he said that he felt there was an incredible homoerotic underpinning or tension now, there's no evidence, and I just don't see that. I mean, um, But I'm curious that Jonathan feels that strongly about it, and he's looked a lot at Moroni. And I'm curious about what your response is, not necessarily to that, but the intimacy with which he depicts men and women. Is there a difference? Is, is, is there a fundamental difference in the way that he, he approaches men and women? Actually, until you mentioned
2: that before, I, I hadn't picked up on it. But it, then you look back and it's interesting, I mean obviously Jonathan's on the look at, is looking for trouble um, and an angle and it's, but it's a fun thing, and there are certainly pictures like that one which are uh, would, 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 would sort of um, yeah, illustrate that argument very well i mean it is, that one you do feel the kind of the sort of thrusting it's one of the few pictures in there where you feel the sort of sitter's really trying to lead. The, the, the artist into a certain kind of...
1: The Podesta. The, yeah, the, exactly.
2: He's yeah. it's, it's, it's very pleased with himself. It's interesting that in the room of all the kind of commissioned work, actually none of them feel the sort of... the, the usual grandeur and pomposity and sort of self-satisfied um, uh, uh, kind of um, pose and uh, personality that you associate with a lot of the... Uh, sort of that kind of commissioned work of that sort of era, of any era really they feel uh, almost a bit vulnerable. I mean, that guy doesn't seem too vulnerable at all, except for the, obviously, in case of the thing that's sticking out. Um, it does seem like, looking back, though, that he... The, the, you realise actually... The, all the women in the in the portraits, none of them are very sexy. No, there's no sort of flirtation. There's no kind of sense of attraction. I didn't find that... I don't think it was so with the men, either. Well, exactly. It didn't look like he was trying to rip her dress off, really. But the... Um, uh, they feel... This just seems like it's a sort of distance. It feels like he's got it detached. He's obviously co- connecting with them enough that they are being themselves, but he's not kind of... There isn't a sort of
1: tension or chemistry there. Which brings me to ask about your own approach to men and women. I mean, we'll talk about individuals in, in a minute. I've got some examples of your work, but um, does sexual tension or tension and personality or gender difference and so on, does that play a part? I mean, if you find somebody attractive, does it, is it something you have to work with or against, or do you just try and banish all thoughts from your mind and you become monastic as a painter? I mean, in the way that you are in the studio. Uh, uh, um, it's hard to
2: know. Because I've been doing the same thing for, for a long time. I mean, you sat for me not that long ago, so you probably could tell me about the sexual tension in the room at the time. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I actually fell asleep, so it was kind of post-coital.
2: I was using some of my best material as well. I was disappointed (laughs) with that. Um, It's actually... um, uh, It tends to be people over the age of about 80 normally who fall asleep in the middle of the city. But um, I'm glad you felt relaxed enough, obviously, in my company that um, you could do that. Um, The... uh, each one's different. I mean, that's the, th- that's the fun of it. And that's why I relate to this painter, really, is that you, you don't get the he's gone in with an agenda with any of the pictures. And I think that the, um, whenever you make the mistake of trying to prejudge a situation, whether it's what someone's going to be like, how you're going to get on with them, what kind of painting you're going to do, uh, it's always a mistake, because what, all that happens
1: is you get into it and then have to stop and start again when you realise what's actually going on I think that's really interesting that, that your view of Moroni is that he doesn't paint Moronis he paints people mm-hmm. and that it, that could be one of the reasons why he hasn't been, been as revered because it's not a discernible or immediately recognisable style It's uh, uh, not signature I think it's really interesting I think the other thing about him is provincial charge you know he's working in Bergamo Bergamo is on the very fringes of the Venetian Republic quite close to you know the the Lombardy Milan and so on and there's political and religious and uh, tensions and military tensions but it's out on a limb and um and of course you're working in a completely different milieu which is contemporary London and it is a place with great cultural momentum. So I suppose, in a sense, that's a gift to a portrait painter because a lot of great people, I don't just mean in terms of great and good, but I do mean that as well, but there's a lot of interesting people passing through this town.
2: Yes, um, geographically, London's great because everyone comes here sooner or later, and so you don't have quite the same issue. I sometimes would go travel to people, um, but it's quite useful to be able to get them into the studio as well because you can tend to... Light it better and set it up better, and they yeah, yeah, feel a bit more vulnerable there as well. Um, so yes, yeah, absolutely. London's a great place for seeing a cross section of kind of you know, global troublemakers and eccentrics. Um, it's a yeah, it's an interesting thing. I mean, obviously, before photography came along, these guys had a job. You know, a portrait painter was you know not just an artist; they were had a historical job. They had to record what... They, there was no other way of recording what these people looked like, and that was an important thing. Um, photography made, obviously, that all that's redundant, and um, uh, this sort of... Um, uh, it, it, I think for a long time it seemed anachronistic, and it, it became a vehicle for artists to experiment with their styles or sort of try things out or subvert the sort of conventions of representation. Um... It's changed. I mean, we've talked about this before, but it was changing anyway. I think in the last few years, with digital manipulation, in the sense here that, that thing of photography as historical document that can't be argued with, the camera never lies, has changed anyway in recent years. Because I think we understand that images are sort of photoshopped and changed. And then, much more recently, I mean, the thing I'm interested in at the moment is how much the way in which we all take pictures of ourselves now on camera phones and it's, it's teaching... i mean, whether my kids will know how to... They're you know, already learning how to light things best. You know, what, when they're looking at pictures of their friends on Instagram or whatever it is, they're sort of decoding what they're trying to... You know, what, what's in the background? What are they are trying to say about themselves? You know, things which you might have learned as a painter at you know, art school or when you were an art history student you know, 10, 15 years later, if at all... Um, uh, people are sort of learning at a sort of very early age and using so we're becoming sort of experts at reading uh, and manipulating portraits well,
1: let, me, let me go back, uh, go forward on the images but go back so this is in some ways a rite of passage it's, it's, it's one of your earliest portraits done in 93, uh, Trevor Huddleston Bishop Trevor Huddleston, Bishop Stepney but um, a, a great figure in South Africa and the sort of freedom struggles there um, what made you want to be or what made you become a portrait painter? And then let's talk specifically about, about this as well in the context of that. Um, uh, well, very quickly,
2: because I've probably bored everyone about it before, but the I didn't go to art school. I did used to draw a lot at school, often when I wasn't supposed to, and I, one of the things I liked doing, because I found it interesting and it would make people laugh, was to draw caricatures, often of the teachers in the back of class. Um, and at the time, obviously, it was... To get told off for that, and um, my p- parents are here probably can <laughs> waste of, waste remember of money. a number of times they've had to sort of read reports saying, you know, if only he'd stop doodling, he might actually pass the exams. Um, but actually, in retrospect, then also because later on, when I left school and was wondering what to do, mm-hmm. there uh, was exactly that time when painting was seen as so out of fashion that art schools had stopped really bothering to teach it with one or two exceptions but it was really there was a genuine debate I mean you remember it was was, was about whether painting would come back at all so I knew I wanted to paint I didn't know if there was uh, a use for it or whether or how to get into it and suddenly my friends who went to art school weren't being taught that so uh, I tried to learn it by my, you know, for myself. I mean, sort of failed miserably at first and did very badly at it. But eventually, I think, sort of got the hang of it enough. And this one was important just because it was the first time someone else had asked me to do a portrait. Um, uh, and so it was, it was a commission in that sense. I don't think any money changed hands, but it was suddenly... Um, he was um, someone who I knew through my dad, and uh, I'd met, and we, it was this time... It was that crucial time when I was trying to decide what to do in life. Um, uh, I was ill at the time as well. I think that sort of serious illness gives you a sort of, you know, it's a wake-up call, but also makes you a bit more stubborn and focused in a way. Um, and uh, I think all those things converging, this thing... This was the first time I tried to do a, a painted portrait where... and not tried it to, it to be, for it to be natural, real, photographic, but just done something fast when they were sitting in front of me. And it was a sudden sort of light switching on. It was, you know, suddenly, actually, if you get someone interesting, you're sort of channeling your sort of instinct about them, and this sort of style sort of follows that. Uh, and it made me very excited about doing it. And luckily, also, he showed it to a lot of people. Um, and so I just got enough work from that to, to keep going.
1: When you said you were largely self-taught, um did you teach yourself mainly by trying to do it, or did you spend a lot of time looking at portraiture and the old masters in particular? Um,
2: uh, it, it, I spent a lot of time looking at things and trying to copy them. They tended to, um, some of them were old masters, but it was just as much because we lived near the Tate, as it was then now Tate Britain, and so it tended to be you know, what was in their collection and all what happened to be on shows. So were, you can probably see the point in my early work when there was a big Picasso show there because everything went sort of cubist. And, you know, it really was as, it's as simple as that. You think, well, really, it doesn't look that hard to do it. And sometimes you copy it and find uh, it wasn't that hard to do it. And obviously, other times, it was you know, a lot harder than you thought. But by trying to force yourself to work out what people were doing technique-wise and also... Um, uh, you know, why they were doing things and why they were choosing the scale for things, you just gradually, I guess, built up an armory of different styles, which you know, fused a bit. I mean, you can still see it in this one, really, that sort of early interest in the sort of, you know, kind of cubism and futurism and that sort
1: of thing. The cubist cleric, yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah. Um, so it's a, that's, how, that's how it started, really. And then by getting a few commissions for portraits, I did never, never imagine I'd be a portrait painter. I didn't, certainly didn't see that as a sort of possibility... But I enjoyed doing it. So I thought, I'll do this while I'm waiting to see what I do want to do, uh, and meanwhile, I'm getting paid by people but through commissions to learn how to do it rather than have to go and get a proper job. So this
1: is OK. Do you feel now that you're, do you still feel that you're working towards total artistic freedom and that the commission is something you'd like to stop, Or is it still, apart from the practicalities of needing to earn a living, it's a very good way of earning a living it gives you access to the kinds of people you might not otherwise get access to?
2: That's a very good question. It's 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 complicated. I know some artists absolutely hate the idea and the constraints, or the implication that they are prostituting themselves somehow by doing something, where they, and they know where it's going, and then somehow that person can sort of you know dictate the terms of it. Um, I think that as long as you as long as people don't expect you to be doing something in a certain way because of them to suit their wishes. Um, then it's an interesting thing. I mean, yes, I, I, I slightly prefer not to do commissions, partly because um, I like to have the freedom to decide what to do with the picture afterwards myself. Um, it's, you know, I, I liked the idea that it's not just going to go straight from the studio to someone's wall, but it's going to have a life of its own. Obviously, I've been doing portrait shows in the last couple of years where I, I've deliberately chosen a wide variety of subjects that interested me, from creative worlds, political worlds, and I think because they're ones that I approached, uh, it kind of gave me the freedom to sort of do it in any way I wanted. Not that I wouldn't have had that anyway, but it certainly, I think it, it feels slightly different. But your last point is to right too, which is that there are one or two people who, you know, it's only by doing a commission in the past that I've been able to paint. I mean, I, you know, I don't, you know, I've been um, lucky to paint all kinds of, of people, but certainly some with. Quite busy jobs, prime ministers, and people who probably wouldn't take the afternoon off to be your life model if they if the picture wasn't for a, a particular purpose afterwards. So you know, it's it's a sort of weighing up the sort of um, balance between you know the constraints of it um, uh, and the you know access you get to someone. Um, but it is getting easier now. I think the sort of um, uh, and most of the recent ones have been done um,
1: on my initiation. Let's look at. A wonderful, I think, early well, early-ish, mid, let's say mid-period in your life so far, commission. Because I mean you, you mentioned your parents, and um, your father's here, and it does seem to me very significant that growing up in a political household, you know, your father was a cabinet minister, y- you must have had a perspective, however subconscious, but it must have been conscious too, about power politics, politicians as individuals, as well as figureheads and so on. And it's difficult to unravel exactly how that impacts on the work, but it, it must give you, in a sense, a perspective that other portraitists don't necessarily have. But in the, also, you applied some kind of conceptual framework, which I think is one of the other things that makes this work so interesting, to a commission that you, you were asked to do during the mm. 2001 election. Explain the, explain the commission. Um, well, this came about because... It actually came about because
2: um, the... Uh, Blair- Tony Blair had been in power for several years, had been refusing to have his portrait painted for anyone, the House of Commons, National Portrait Gallery, <clears throat> and this was actually an idea it came up by brilliant Tony Banks, who was then running the House of Commons Art Collection, uh, as a way of getting around that. He decided to sort of pretend, pretend to Blair that there was this tradition of having an election artist uh, on the on the uh, campaign, and that uh, you know, basically, you know, um, by kind of getting. William Hague and Charles Kennedy in on, to agree to do it first um, I think literally just ran into him in the sort of House of Commons lobby one evening and said look this is happening that's okay isn't it and, um, and Blair sort of agreed to it without really thinking it through so that was the excuse, it was an excuse to do a painting of him at all um, and which would become a bit of a kind of general game in the sort of portrait business at that time um, the problem with it was that now I had to do it um, he, I mean but, um, Tony was Banks asked me to do it if I could do it uh, under the constraints of you're not doing it in the studio, following them around on the election for five weeks and making something up. Uh, so, like an that. embedded journalist. Yes, yeah, somewhere between that and a sort of Hogarthian, you know, kind of. Um, yeah, and I think, yes, exactly. Well, it, you, did, you sort of became an embedded journalist. That's one of the interesting things, is how much you learn about. What's actually going on and how, at that time, you know, you, the, the, you, you, I would sort of spend literally alternate days with the different campaigns and uh, you would be in the sort of bus often with blacked out windows with all these journalists who've been following these guys around for weeks on end. And there was a sort of Stockholm syndrome gradually takes hold over the course of it. They go, they were at the Kasata campaign. Everyone was very cynical about everything. By the end, they were just sort of towing the kind of line of whatever they were given that day in order to, you know, to receive some scraps of food at the end of it. It's a strange experience going on uh, on that on, on on that sort of campaign as an outsider, but very interesting too. And um, I was often alongside Steve Bell, you know, the gum brilliant Guardian cartoonist, who were what, we wrote on, uh, what we have this sort of the, um, doing. Sort of the same thing, but not. I mean, because you, know, you know he 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 can caricature these guys in seconds because he's been doing it for a while. But he, what they had to do was the cartoonists have to represent you know what you feel about those personalities you don't know, but you have a whole view of them that day. Summarise the general mood, all the kind of current references. As a painter, you've got to do something which still which is going to still ring true. 10, 20, 50, 100 years later, by which time you'll know a lot more about what was actually going on. And for that, all you've got to go on is the sort of, is the personality. And um, if you work, I I feel the ones that work well are the ones where you work it out. But yes, sorry, I'm rambling. The point you were making is that there was a, it was about the election. I liked the idea of bringing a conceptual thing into it. And so, uh, because they had to be straight portraits on the one hand. Um, but the different size pictures, you can just about see it there, they're sort of broken into three different sort of according to how many votes they got and therefore how much they deserve to be part of it. And so proportional representation, which was another kind of theme that was going around um, at the time, was a little joke as well. I mean, it was, it was a gentle thing, but it was a way of bringing, introducing a sort of a wider idea into what otherwise these was a dead straight, you know, as, 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 as sort of straightforward very realist
1: portraits as I I ever ever used to do. How long... I mean, I know you were with them on the bus, but how long did you get with them sitting still while you actually tried to paint? Not at all, really. I mean, there were times when I
2: was allowed into quite small meetings. Um, uh, And so... But I was always observing... And sometimes even one-on-one, one on one, you know, at the end of the day, sometimes they sort of, you know, they'd had a busy day and thought it was going well. You know, Blair, a few times, would sort of take pity on me and then invite me for a cup of tea at the back of the bus and the chat and to let me do a bit of drawing. Um, but then, you know, you're in the back of a bus going down a motorway. You get a bump and pencil goes across it and you ruin it. And so you start again. So it's not a great way of actually working. But it's a, it's, it is an interesting way of getting to see a bit of a, your subject in all states, I never really felt with any of them that they were ever being fully themselves because they were so used to doing the public job and then doing the sort of fake matey thing with the journalists behind the scenes that uh, I'd never really felt that... Any, you know I don't think you can in that job switch off completely. Um, so it was an interesting experience, but I don't feel... I think that they, they tells the story of what was going on in that election. You've got Blair in sort of messiah mode, hey, knowing he's going to lose. Um, uh, Charles Kennedy not really enjoying any of it and sort of, uh, had, sort of was off the booze for the campaign as well, which wasn't helping. And I think you know, it, was, it was what was going on, but this is as far away from the rest of... I mean, this is the least like Moroni and least like the sort of um, true under-the-skin character depictions of, of, of any of my
1: work in a way. And partly because you had to make drawings. You weren't yeah. spending time with them. Okay, let's move on, because it's a, it's a wonderful comparison. So here is Blair, mm. um, six years later, uh, where, what a great comparison with what Six Years in Power mm. does for you. Um, was, was he a willing sitter because of the relationship you developed with him before? Um. Possibly, yes. I mean, I think that he said
2: he was certainly pretty reassured that you know I didn't have another agenda at that stage. Um, the thing also, I mean, there were so many things I would. You know, early on, when so you know, it's very difficult to do a, a, a painting of someone who's going into power, going becoming going into a job where they're going to be doing something where they'll be defined by what happens to them, and we don't know what that is yet. In his case, in 2001, you you wouldn't have predicted that he was going to be defined by the foreign policy decisions uh, and never escape that. But even by 2007, which was at the end of his term, you sort of did know by then. Um, And also by then, I think he was just, you know, he didn't care quite as much. He wasn't sort of trying to sort of exert control over every aspect of life. And so this, I think, again, um, it took a while to persuade him to come to the studio, but he did eventually. And, but I was so aware of not of needing to reference the sort of some of his story, but not wanting to do it in a heavy handed way or, you know, make it overly, you know, um, simplistic or trite or have big distracting sort of war scenes going on or, you know, it need, I wanted, I, I couldn't work out what it was. I knew it had to be something. And then he, but then he came in because it was November, you know, it was this time of year um, and had the poppy on. Uh, and he was just about to take it off. He said, oh, I'll, I'll take this off. Like, no, 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 maybe not yet. Um, and although I didn't know for sure at that point that I'd use that, it just was like, actually, that would do. That might just do by itself. Um, and in a way, I think it's nice because of the simplicity of it. Uh, it's such an immediately
1: recognisable symbol. Yeah, I mean, it's a wound, it's a, but it's also a symbol of war dead. I mean, it was a gift, wasn't it? It was the new Labour's rose, I suppose, yeah. Yeah. turned into a symbol of, of death. It, it makes sense. I mean, it's, it's such a gift, but it's, it's used so in such an accomplished way here. But it makes sense of a brilliantly um, flippant remark you made earlier as as we were talking to Moroni, and you said all that neoclassical rubbish in the background. Um... But I was thinking, wow, but I think what you meant was the trappings of allegory and so on, whereas in the contemporary world, um, Blair, almost overcome by the kind of miasma of void, you know, I mean, you could, I, I try to interpret this in terms of existential crisis, I remember one time writing about your, your work, but the point is, the allegorical trappings are in the poppy, aren't they, yes, that, it does it all exactly. for you. Yes, exactly, and, and I think I was being gl- glib
2: about Moroni just because I felt they were things he would borrowed from other people rather than was particular to that. That a subject. I felt that was the one thing that slightly jars in that room of paintings. Whereas everything else, the way they're standing, the clothes, the colours, the personality, the f- everything else is, clearly is key to that person, and nothing's sort of out of balance. And the danger with these things is it's you know. It, it, I spent ages trying to compose it and work out how, exactly how where the head and the um, poppy should be and how red it should be, because you just needed to be very powerfully there but still not completely take your attention away from his face, which is you know still the most interesting thing. By which time i also learned how to thought a lot about how to light it and rather than do it flat from the front like I'd had to do in the last one, I was able to like do, give it a slightly more Hollywood um, uh, sort of um, a bit of more drama to it, and you know I think that is interesting about him, he, you know, he, he, he is part Hollywood star, part war criminal part, you know, he, there's, there's so much going on there, uh, and uh, yeah, I mean, so it, 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 it's a difficult thing, but yes, symbolism uh, you know, I think I took a long time to kind of be comfortable using symbolism, because I was worried it would seem trite and
1: heavy-handed Well, in a way, it's a non-judgmental painting, but there's, subtly it, it, it makes the points you've just made, but this is definitely a partisan portraits that you did of uh, of George Bush in 2007, where people initially seeing it, they think it's a kind of collaged post-Cubist image of Bush, which it is, but if you look closely, his face is made up of of pornography. what prompted you to... I say pick on Bush. I think that's probably not the right term. I think he could manage um, um, some artistic caricatures. But what, what motive... I mean, it's a, it's a, it makes sense to me. Religious fundamentalism in America, Bush's uh, uh, Conservative Party values um, being attacked. But it's odd that you suddenly, out of the blue, should be taking this kind of approach. Why? What prompted it? Was it made out of anger?
2: Um, I, it, it, was, it, was, it wasn't anger. It was, I think because uh, it started off as a commission, and so I'd been having to think about how I'd do someone who was clearly very unpopular even at this day. I think the actual commission was about 03, 04, just before he was re-elected. Um, and they made me do all kinds of things and send over examples of what, how it might look. And so I had to do something which I wouldn't normally do, which is do some studies of based on kind of you know press photos and that sort of thing. Um, and just it was just a bit more, um, you know, there was general suspicion. It was all war on terror, you know, needed to know all about your family background, you know, where you were born, where your parents were born, where, you know, just, it's just so much security, it was just all a big effort. And so then when they said, oh, actually, when the thing then didn't happen, I was a bit annoyed about it, but I also had all this material. So I was like, oh, I'll use it somehow. Um, so it, wasn't, it was playful rather than angry. I, but I had, been, I had already had this, this niggling worry that, you know, he's such an unpopular politician everywhere in the world. Uh, the reports I got was he's a very charming and charismatic person. There was always my worry that I might have gone there and liked him. Um, and then had the dilemma of having to sort of what to show in the picture. Um, anyway, that didn't happen. This did. I thought that collage would be a fun extension of the slightly painterly cubist work anyway. And it would be an easy thing to do. Um, to do it out of pornography was an obvious thing. You know, I, just, I justified it in terms of skin tones um, because you've obviously got to find them all there. Um, and it's it's playful, Yeah, people. Uh, I think that if it's effective because it looks like a painting from a distance. There's a delayed reaction. Early on, it was looking too like a painting, so I had to put one or two bits of more obvious detail in so that people would then go in to check what they were and then realise. Um, it's, uh, it was, the idea was just do it as an experiment. And if it worked, then I thought, I actually thought I might try and send it over to them anyway and say, well, here's the picture. I started it, so I might as well finish and see if they noticed. I sort of thought, imagine they might even put it on the wall and it would sit there for a while without, you know, and it would be a nice little sort of quiet little sort of joke to myself. But that didn't happen. I, you know, um, uh, the thing took much longer than I expected anyway. I almost gave up on it, but I started to see how well it was working. And actually, that you could be as precise with bits of paper if you could be bothered to thumb through enough bloody magazines to find the right colour and, and, you know, with whatever detail you needed. Uh, so it was an interesting thing. And because of it being made of this material, which is so cheap and disposable and um, not a painting, it was interesting how people's relationship with the work could dramatically change when they realised it wasn't a painting; it was something else. So there's that sort of. Um, there were so many aspects of it which, which which interested me, and so it led on to other work. But they were all based on people who were who um, uh, that, that were not um, uh, people I hadn't met. So this was all based on people's reputations, uh, and there were various others that followed. We did, uh, Hugh Hefner and. Um, Sigmund Freud and Paris Hilton and various other. I've just done the last one, which was, I started years ago actually. I've had to give up on these mostly because you can't buy the magazines anymore. You know, it's, the iPad has killed mag- mag- porn mags.
1: The amount you'd need, I think you'd killed the market. But um, and Who is the last one? Who, who's the... Well, so this one it's actually,
2: it's actually going to be a show next week, but uh, it's Silvio Berlusconi, which was <laughs> started some years ago when he was a bit more. In the public eye, but it it, was—it's—it's just I didn't have quite have the energy or the reason to finish it. Um, But yes, and I'm afraid it is, and I'm afraid it's called Bunga Bunga, and it's actually got a lot more detail than this one.
1: Berlusconi is probably the sitter that wouldn't mind. I mean, in in a way, does history relate what Bush's response to this was, or or was it was there a deafening silence when the work was finished?
2: um, There were responses from.
1: Republican spokesman which were very po-faced
2: and we don't see what's funny about this or why would anyone want to do this that kind of thing I I think the reality is that um, he's obviously a very skillful politician he won two elections he probably knows when to comment on things and when not to I suspect also he'd have probably found it funny actually as you said sort of. I thought at the start Um, we didn't know then that he was an artist himself
1: um, we still don't actually have you seen the paintings
2: (laughs) Yeah. yeah they're terrible I happen to be in Dallas when they were on, they are they 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 they're, 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 they're mesmerisingly bad. Um, I'm happy to say, but I was the, I didn't seem to be didn't seem to be a unanimous um, verdict at all. Judging by the respectful
1: crowds going through the the um, the gallery, here's the final uh, a final one of our contemporary politics selections. There's a handful more, but Malala Yousafzai is. Um, I mean, a, a very prescient portrait because she's just won the Nobel Peace Prize and, and you worked with her before. But um, how... Um, I mean, was this a difficult painting to get access to? I mean, it was a difficult subject, rather, to get access to. Um, I think probably, yes. I mean, it was, it was, it was just an
2: amazing coincidence. Um, it was at a time when I was doing the, the show at the National Portrait Gallery and trying to decide what to put in it. They... You know, given me the sort of freedom to choose the subjects I wanted to represent, um, uh, other than a few older ones they wanted to include. So it was a you know, I just basically made a wish list of people, anyone who was interesting to me at that time, not expecting many of them to say yes to it. Certainly, least of all, this, you know, oh, Malala who was just, just come out of um, hospital at that time. You know, uh, and but it was, a, it, was a, it was a fortunate thing that they um, saw it, and whoever advises her a um, uh, brilliant bunch of people who advised her um, obviously I would say they're brilliant they suggested that she did this but it was, it was a lovely thing because actually that was such an extraordinary time in her life which was so fragile and vulnerable and yet becoming so massively well known um, and uh, and t- as a totemic figure as well. You know, I think you know, so much was being projected onto her. She was representing so many different things to different people. She's you know, as hated as she is, admired in different parts of the world, um, ridiculous as it seems. And um, uh, it was interesting. For me, what was interesting was because I'd done the political portraits earlier on and was obviously associated with politics, um, uh, There to do someone who represented a new... It's a different... Someone who had been pulled into politics but had, been, uh, had a political role imposed on her. Um, I did Doreen Lawrence as the other one. I, I thought that was a sort similar, similar thing. There's a sort of... You know, the world's changing. The way of communication is changing. Um, there's a sort of general sense that sort of old um, political structures don't work as well anymore and maybe not keeping up with sort of technology either. So... Um, uh, there isn't some sort of clever sort of. Yeah, obviously, I'm not doing a Russell Brandon and sort of explain what the solution to it, everything is. But I think it's interesting seeing that sort of the people who are becoming, you know, you can you can become a massive, much more powerful, uh, influential person by not going into it sometimes in the normal way. Um, so.
1: Did since you said people do project onto her in a way, um, but. As a as a you know as a campaigner for you know for women's rights or education the blogs that she did the you know the attack the, the life threatening um, assassination attempt or being shot um, did you find her reserved and sort of quietly steely or was she quite animated and open in in, in the times that you was, you had her sitting for you um, I mean she strikes me from only from afar as an incredibly strong person but fairly discreet and. Um, uh, um, I, I, I'd read about her before
2: she was shocked because there was this, she was famous as doing this blog as a 13-year-old. I hadn't really sort of studied it, but then I looked back afterwards and saw, but she was also interviewed. She was very, very communicative and energetic and, uh, and passionate. Obviously, she was in a very shaky state when I first met her. Each time, she's got progressively more uh, uh, back, not quite back to how she was before, but certainly more sort of sure of herself and um, uh, it's a very interesting thing. She, it seemed like she was a very fragile person the first time. It was once she got used to me being around and I got her talking, she was so focused. I mean, it was clearly somebody who had uh, an eye on history. She's got a sort of great sense of her role in the world. And this was you know, before she was even 16, before I think they'd really decided what they were going to do with you know, her. Um, it was, yeah, uh, but I think even then, she was. She said something to me about how what well, an amazingly counterproductive thing it was. You know, by sort of trying to use violence to shut up a, a local annoying opponent of you know, the regime, they made it infinitely more powerful. Um, yeah, you know, it's just. It, 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 she had a great perspective on things, and so um, she's obviously going to be. You know, she, she expects to do it for a long time, um, and she has this. Because she moves slowly now and has this sort of very unusual sort of look and presence, it's amazing how when she does walk into a room, uh, it, she, has, she has this extraordinary sort of presence. It wasn't there when I first met her, but seeing her in public now, I think, uh, is a very interesting thing. Um, what? Wh- wh- why this particular pose? That's the pose was just because obviously she the reason we know of her and the reason she was you know they tried to shut her up was because she was just campaigning for girls to be educated at all um in the, under the Taliban regime um in northern Pakistan where she lived, and it was so powerful then and she was obviously being threatened and for forget you know, and the, the, the school was gradually losing pupils because of the threats and she was one of the last ones to, to use it anyway it was just seemed like a simple advice to have her doing the thing that they were trying to stop her doing and the thing which she's now using her foundation using her energy and money to um make happen for kids generally in parts of the world and not just locally to her but sort of everywhere it's becoming a much wider thing but
1: this is something you asked her to do or you asked her how she'd like to be portrayed i mean i just wonder how complicit she was yeah, or um, how much it's a conversation she
2: she she she's she, her name I think i'm a, The the text just says, um, has has the name um, Malala Maiwand, which is the figure, historical figure she was named after, who is the one who, her dad, who was very brilliant and um, quite sort of, uh, it was a sort of, ran a charity for sort of education before, so obviously it's an influence on her, but much less than I expected. Um, He named her after this figure who was famous for having led the rebellion against the British, um, in whatever it was, the 1890s. And so it was a famous figure there because of that. Um, immediately sort of humorously saw the irony of the fact that it was the British who managed to sort of like save her life and set her up here. Um, but there's the, um, I think he, yeah, out of all the family, had always imagined her as having a sort of destiny. And so it is an interesting... I mean, the, 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 the sort of subtext, I suppose, is, is, is you know, here's someone who... You know, has been forced into a situation and has huge expectation. Actually, had quite a lot before she even was in that situation. Um, uh, you sort of worry, maybe I, I was worried beforehand that, that there was some manipulation going on. There's something behind her was maybe, you know, um, pulling the strings and pushing it. But I didn't feel that at all. I felt like it's absolutely who she is, and actually, you know, amazing to turn things around and make you know use it to such advantage.
1: Um, artists, Damien Hurst. Grayson Perry. Um, I wonder whether, because of your sensitivity to or empathy with what they do, or, and, and and perhaps it's symbiotic or sympathetic at least when they're sitting for you. I wonder whether there are different challenges in depicting artists in portraying artists, or whether they become just mm. another human being who does certain things.
2: Um, I
1: mean,
2: I think for me. Having not been to, not done sort of like years at art school, and and had a background, a community of artists, c- kind of contemporaries who I sort of grew up with, it's, uh, it's I've come a bit later to it. I always, and, and and these guys, both Damien and Grace, are the people whose work I admired well before I met them. Um, uh, it is interesting about any other artists, even when, and, and I think almost especially when they do things which are quite different from what you do. I mean, I think that. Uh, there's an extra pressure because you feel they are going to be reading it in a much more precise way. But it's very... In Damien's case, I, w- I wanted to get across the sort of way he's seen, get across a bit of the humour, but also um, I thought it be interesting to sort of reference what he did in some way, but in an unusual way. Obviously, he's not someone who works standing at an easel. Um, this outfit, is at, which... Uh, I quite like the, the sort of mad ambiguity of it because I mean. Well, it
1: looks like something out of an Alan Jones painter, but it's not. It's, um, it's, it's the formaldehyde suit, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, exactly. So that's what he, what he used to actually
2: use to get in, into the tanks and make the work. Um, the, you know, the gas, mark, the whole gear looks a bit, you know, and the pose was deliberate to make him look a bit deranged, a bit like a paramilitary. So you, there was a bit of ambiguity before you start. Then you sort to of read the rest of it, hopefully, and work it out. There's still the ambiguity. I hope that of whether he's in the tank because he's making something or has been made into one of his own exhibits. Obviously, the expression kind of gives away that he's in on the joke, but it's still... There's, yeah, It's a big painting. We took a lot of time over it. I could, it took me a long time to work out how to do it, but it gave us time to sort of think about lots of things and trying to get the sense of... So, yeah, He's obviously a big Bacon fan. Um, I've always liked the Velasquez version, yeah, the, 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 the sort of like idea of the sort of Pope's pose, sort of lording it over everyone... Uh, he's always he, uh, certainly when I was sort of go. I was a few years younger than him, and so he was already a big figure in the art world and seemed as sort of uh, o- you know an overlord almost. And I think that you want, I wanted to get all that into it, but also the fact that you know um, you've you probably known better than me. But he, he's such a playful personality,
3: and
1: there are very few things where he's not one step ahead of you on the joke anyway. He's also a, yes, he's also. A very curious individual, and I, when I wasn't sleeping, when I sat for you, I was very curious about what you were doing. I mean, I, I was sort of looking, watching you intently, watching me or painting, and then we just got talking, and then off it went. But I remember asking you whether or not I, you wanted me to see what you'd done at the end of a sitting or not, because I was curious as to what you. And you said, "Well, maybe better not later." So I absolutely I said, "Fine," and I, I, I haven't seen it. I wonder with Damien whether he was up and down, constantly looking at what you were doing. As a guess, he would be quite curious, or did he sit back and wait only till you'd finished it?
2: Um, It's a funny thing, actually. I think probably, possibly, like you and uh, and he, I think people who are interested in the process are not so worried at that stage about how they're how they're being made to look. some people come, and the main concern is whether you've made them look, you know, kind, not you know clever, um, old, young. You know, people have got their own preoccupations about what they're ho- hoping to see. I think for him and Grayson, probably part of the interest and the reason they kind of obviously made time to do it when they didn't have to, was because they're people who make things, uh, they're curious about my technique and I sort of saw both of them at different stages in different ways, you know, kind of very sort of gently asked questions about the sort of technique, uh, of what I was doing certain things for. I mean, David's endlessly curious um, it is um I think that was probably the more that, that I was much more aware of that that they were interested in what how it was being made and you know how how these things came about. i don't remember either of them really needing to, sort of, to, to you know to kind of see the picture almost they were uh, and it's funny seeing Grayson go through the same experience when he did that um t v series recently about portraiture and it was a very brilliant and precise uh uh, summary of the state of contemporary portraiture and, and actually the experience of doing it. And, but I loved it when he said, You saw him in the gallery at the end of one of the programmes saying how nervous he was because actually he'd he gone into it thinking it was all only going to be about how truthful the, the thing was. But actually, he did also want the subject to, if not like it, at least recognise themselves in it. And there is that thing, yeah, I think you, you sort of. Um, well, anyway, I, I, I don't feel. I mean, some people, some people worry about it, they. It's always like a sort of. I felt with both of them, there's a slight nervousness that builds up if you don't look at a picture about, you because know, in case you don't like it, there's this awkwardness you've built up such a rapport with whoever it is.
1: Nervousness on your part, you mean?
2: I think on both sides. I think But both... is the other stakes higher because they're fellow artists and you yes, want their approval? I think so. I think that, if, I, if I'm honest, that's probably absolutely the case. And uh, I think that, but you're also interested to see their reaction. Um, you know, you, you want to know what it is that interests them about it. Um,
1: but yes, you don't want them to, like, sort of say, well, that's was a waste of time. Just before I throw you briefly out to the floor, um, maybe, maybe the Duchess of Cornwall can be a postscript, but uh, let's look at this image because it's a, it's a fascinating work. It's very recent um, uh, self-portrait because the presence of the self in all portraiture is something we look for and how artists depict themselves is obviously um, a fascinating, an endlessly fascinating subject, and particularly with that wonderful late Rembrandt show on at the moment. But um, this is a very... Well, sometimes it's a process-driven work, but it, it, it's, what, about technique, technology, codes of representation, I suppose, to a certain extent.
2: Yeah, I mean, the, the premise is this, so this is
1: um, a
2: jokey self-portrait, I suppose. It's, 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 the idea is it, 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 it's quite unfinished and slightly abstract, but the idea is it's me coming out of a photo booth, having done a sort of sneaky self-portrait, in, obviously, in, in the photo booth. I like the idea... Well, okay, so there's several things. Okay, so the the, the main thing is yeah, the the photo booth at a time when we're suddenly self-portraiture is a sort of daily newspaper you know, discussion subject, which it probably hasn't been ever before, really. I mean, everyone's so aware of and interested in the idea of um, representation. We touched on it before, but it is, it is absolutely a fresh thing. Um, the... As a result, the old-fashioned analogue technology of the photo booth, which we all recognise very clearly and know what it does and what someone coming out of one has, has been doing, our kids won't know that because they won't exist in a few years' time. You know, so it's a, it's not, it's a, as a little metaphor, you know, visual sort of you know, um, uh, you know, metaphor of a particular activity, but also the idea is it's about the sort of rapidly evolving technology. Um, the, she, my daughter took the picture with you know, the phone camera um, it's, this, then it's the the other bit of fun is really just I mean, the idea of yeah, portraits basically is, you try and get people not to be self conscious to, to do a good portrait. So if you want yeah that's 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 the aim. People tend to come in self conscious, but you gradually sort of trying to sort of like um as, you know distract them enough to see them actually doing what they actually do and who they who they are. You can't do that with a self portrait whether you're doing it in, of yourself with a, with a camera or You know, as Rembrandt would have done it in a mirror. uh, You know, you're never not conscious of being looked at, and so this idea of any kind of detachment is obviously sort of phony. As is even if you've done it, you know, the style maybe in the 20th century artists maybe took photos or had photos taken and chose one. You're still choosing which ones you think you you, it puts the image you're trying to put across, Um, and so the whole thing is rests on a sort of basically. This the idea of this is it's not even pretending to be anything other than a very very posed image uh, t- done from a photo. There's still that thing that painters, the painter versus photography thing. When I grew up, when I was studying to paint, you know, we, painting felt like it had lost the battle with photography, um, and painters would either was, still, was sort of the rear guard sort of reaction of you know I'm not going to have anything to do with the photography, it's so a Lucian style. Um, uh, or the people who were using it, but maybe pretending they weren't. And so the, uh, that, that, that's the other sort of reference, that's the reason for having the sort of word photos in there as well. It's just the, the idea of, sort of the sort of relationship between painting and photography. Um, and Richter,
1: the obliteration yes. of the
2: image, but also
1: the resilience of painting?
2: Yeah, and, the, and the, Richter, the man who vacillated between doing photorealists. Paintings, um, often portraits, and total abstracts, um, keeping his options open, um, but, but actually both brilliantly successful. And this, you're right, it was, it, that's exactly the idea. It's, it's a, there's a bit of both those styles going on in the picture. Um, anyway, I rat, it would terrible to ramble about your own self portrait for hours, but it was, I, was trying to, I was trying to wrap several ideas, possibly too many, up in one image. Um,
1: uh, so, that's, yeah, that's what's going on. There's quite a lot of brevity, actually, in that answer on the portrait. It's amazing you thought you were going on. It's More the fact that... Um, the thing I wanted just to ask you finally was, you do look quite good there. It is quite a good picture. So, did when your daughter took this, did you think, oh, yeah, I don't look so bad there in the thing, and I'll use it, or was it really... Did, I mean, she did it not with prompting from you, but it, it, because you were leaving a photo booth, it triggered those look, we, ideas.
2: We were on the lookout for doing this, because I had this idea in my head already, uh, and I somehow thought I'd actually go and find one and set up and get a, someone pop, to do it properly and do a really good one, and actually just saw it, and I said, look, have a go, and, but yes, admittedly, she did take three, and I did choose the best one, uh, and I, when I sort of raised the idea of the exhibition that it's in, which is up in, in Newcastle at the moment, finishing, it'd be a great one to have on the wall at home, my wife said, no way, that one yeah, doesn't look like you at all. you're just obvi- obviously posing, trying to get in a, in a, in, in a photo, so um, yeah, I didn't really get
1: away with that at all watch this space Other um, questions you'd like to ask Jonathan? the floor yeah um, we have to wait for mics do you mind so gentlemen here and then uh, we're going to ask Jonathan I was uh, I've always been particularly fascinated by your uh, portraits of famous people, of celebrities and I wondered, I mean you've got sort of an international reputation for this, is there something particularly that attracts you to people who are well known and do you approach them, do they approach you, if you approach them, I wondered how you uh, how you choose an individual and may I just say regarding Berlusconi, I simply cannot wait to see your take in him I wondered if you'd gone to the National Portrait Gallery to see the photograph of him at the Taylor Wessing uh, exhibition because this shows him as a malign vacuous monster and I just wondered if you'd seen that and if you'd like to comment
2: <laughs> I haven't seen that so I can't comment sadly I, I will go and see it um, the
1: uh... so relatively sympathetic
2: then but uh, well, my way, yes. It's uh, it's, um, well, it's 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 I think he's got a sort of cheesy grin, and it's. You know, I think it's the sort of you know him getting away with it, sort of look, more than the sort of terrible monster. Um, he does it in the, in the right.
0: You've got vacant eyes. It yeah. scandal. The
2: yeah. Great. Oh, I'll have a look. Well, um, but the issue of celebrity. The celebrity. Yeah. Well, it's it's an interesting thing. I mean, celebrities, sort of. Um, we have some sort of mixed feelings even about the word of it these days. Uh, obviously. I do a lot of paintings with a lot of different people, a lot of them time, friends and family. And, um, who, but obviously, the ones that people th- the remember and write about tend to be the ones where we all know the subject. And so celebrities are the people we know in common. So it's they're the, usually the best ones to communicate whatever idea or stylistic thing, whatever you're trying to do. Um, and as, you know, we, I've, I've sort of got more used to doing the job. It's fun... And now I feel I'm sort of getting the hang of it now uh, to, to sort of um, do exhibitions where there's a, potentially a wide audience for the work. I think that's what, that, that's what it comes down to. So that, that should be the reason for doing people who are well-known, um, not all the time, but enough of the time that you can sort of do pictures which then, you know, people can talk about. Um, the how to choose them, it's just, I think it's just, um, you, you you sort of... Uh, uh, it's partly opportunism. Sometimes you find yourself in a situation when you meet them or introduced to them um, by somebody else, uh, and so that, that starts a conversation about it. Occasionally they approach me. Um, quite often these days, I will just it's if someone sort of keeps coming into my thoughts and sort of I can sort of start to feel an idea about a picture, then that's a good reason to try and get in touch with them. I mean, and that's just a very unpredictable process. You know, sometimes there's a very easy way of getting a hold of people. Um, or, or you could or they, they know your work already, and you can sort of you know make 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 things happen quite quickly very often it takes a very long time or doesn 't happen at all or you know, you, you know it, it, there 's there's no science to it at all it's just a, it's it 's getting easier because I think you know i 've obviously done enough work of other work that they 've probably seen or people they know that they can see very vaguely that it sort of you know at least might look like them if, um, but it 's it's not. It's not much more than that. It's, it, I think it's, it's. 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 A lot of the time, it's just about making it actually happen. Um, and the way I work is not so much needing people in the studio lots and lots and lots of times. I mean, I, I, um, yeah, obviously, three or four times if they stay awake. Um, and uh, <laughs> the, the. The. Um. Uh, but then, it, it's often about actually getting to know them outside. And so, seeing them. You know, in the studio is. You know, an unusual. It's a strange. Alien environment. The sort of people aren't used to the sort of you know the lights, the smells, and having you know, someone staring at them, drawing, taking photos, all that kind of thing. Um, so it's partly about you know if necessary, I sometimes go and see people in their own space, and sometimes that's the most interesting way of doing it.
1: Um, so it's a very interesting answer, a candid answer. David Bailey, who, when asked about celebrity, now just says they're not celebrities; they're just people I know. Um, but I suppose if you've been around for that long, then you tend to uh, then you develop the kind of reputation, then you become a kind of celebrity magnet. But the whole tradition of the National Portrait Gallery is a pantheon of interesting people, a kind of biography of national life. So I suppose you haven't painted that many celebrities in the. Purest sense of the word, people famous for being famous, they tend to be people who have a role in... I mean, they're famous artists or they're politicians or they're um, campaigners or they're um, media well, yeah, magnates I, I, or whatever, actors.
2: Yeah, exactly. I mean, but I think you, you want to do um, pictures which are going to still be interesting You know, as far in the future as possible. I mean, Grayson painted the guy's name who's the... Um, uh, reality TV star yeah. um, uh, precisely oh, to make the already, point yeah. that these are the sort of transient celebrities of the time uh, and that works brilliantly now but even that will, may, will, will be, you know, you'll have to explain to people in 10 years time who that guy was maybe yeah, I think it's, you know, you're just, you know, obviously, obviously you're hoping for immortality of some kind. You know, you're hoping that at least this, this sort of, the work will live on through the subjects, if not through your own sort of vast reputation. So there's a, it's, there's a bit of that, I think, that sort of drives the choice of subjects. But you also want ones that say something in some way about sort of society and what's going on now. And so a representative of something that interests you whether it's politics or the kind of art that's going on or sort of films you like so i think it's all it's all those things
1: immortality is a good thing i mean some of your sitters do just want peace and quiet and a bit of relaxation but i think um, the idea that it may be a symbiotic relationship for some of your sitters that you are immortalizing them but at the same time they are a vehicle through which your reputation will be um, um, enhanced and extended is a very potent one um arturo Galancino who's the curator of the moroni exhibition had his hand up did you want to ask a question Yes. sorry.
3: (laughs) First of all, uh, one consideration. Thank you very much. It was great. Uh, I didn't expect when uh, I decided to create this show that our talk would have been one on cut pieces, the other one where there was an actor disguised in uh, in a countess, and the third one we were talking about international politics, uh, Nobel Prizes, bunga bunga. Uh, So so I'm quite pleased because it means that (laughs) art is uh, very various place, not for, uh, full of arguments. No, for very interesting this conversation. My question is a little bit linked to the last question. Um, Your question was about celebrity. My question is more about identity. Actually, to connect your work with what we have upstairs in the Moroni show. Many of these portraits lost their identity for many reasons. One of the reasons, because uh, Moroni was, was had a kind of critical misfortune very soon so these portraits uh, were sold misattributed sometime to Titian, to Veronese, to other people to other, to other artists and of course the sitter lost their own identity how much is important identity in portraiture how much this lo- loss of identity could affect the work of Moroni and in the future maybe the value the, the, strength, the strength of your work this is, uh, because I see that what we have seen today is really linked with the identity of the sitter. Yeah. George Bush uh, done with all these uh, pornographic elements makes sense because it's George Bush. If he's 200 years, maybe after the uh, atomic war, I don't know, we, <laughs> you, somebody will find your painting and you know, they don't know, don't know who is the sitter. The, the, the value will change, the mm. strength will change. If you have a consideration well, that, about that. That's a, it's
2: a very good, it's an interesting area then. I think that... Um, uh, a lot of, uh, in a way, I feel what I do is, is sort of is, is the opposite end of portraiture from Lucian's um, uh, approach, which was to do, did everything in the same way, treated every part of the canvas e- equally and uh, flesh, meat, animals. Yeah, treated it, was in the same was, way. it was the surface of the world, including the cities. He was very rarely making eye contact with the subject. He wasn't really interested in making any sort of penetrating insights or any insights at all about them. It was mostly about him and what he saw. And he did that better than anyone who's ever painted before. The you way know, he got the skin tones—it's unbelievable. It's mesmerising. But he, you know, you don't feel any of them really. You, you're, you're finding out much about them. Um, it is an interesting area. The—I mean—Grayson's conclusion, I think, in the, in the, on the sort of portraits and identity, was about um, that, that basically celebrities become a proxy for the fact that you know we we no longer have a little closed sort of society, social group where everyone knows everyone. And so we're, not, we're sort of like dealing with that by making some people um, uh, you know, common amongst all of us. And I'm not sure I quite agree with that, but I think it's a very interesting idea. And I think it does sort of link in with this. Uh, and funny enough, Moroni, of course, was partly ignored by art history from what I read quickly in the captions upstairs. Obviously, I um, was told not to prepare myself for this. But um, was partly geographically cut off from everything and was left out of Vasari's Lives of the Artists. Um, because of it, and therefore just you know, in the days when there were very few people going around and checking out what was going on, these groups were um, isolated, and he was... So, you know, so the people in this picture may well have been very well known amongst that little sort of world, um, and you know, mean not- meant nothing at the time to anyone outside them. Um, I like to think that hopefully someone, you know, after the nuclear war, possibly started by some of the people we've just been looking at, um, will one day you know, could look back and pick up the work uh, individually and decode something about the personalities as well as, without needing to know the reputation of the person, I hope that, I certainly think that the good ones are the ones where I managed to do both, is actually get some of the sort of actual sort of humanity, the personality of the subject separate from their reputation uh, but, rep, but you know, take advantage of that reputation and the associations to have a bit of fun with as well.
1: i miss- it's the timeless idea for portraiture, isn't it? On one level, it's all art is culturally specific and it's, produ- it's a, a document of the culture in which it's produced. But there is something, and it's often in the best art, it's unconsciously as- aspiring on behalf of the artist, but one wants to transcend one's time. And that presumably with portraiture, on one level, um, very few of the greatest artists who've ever wielded a brush have been pure portrait painters, but many of the most broadly acknowledged Um, achievements in western art involve portraiture and it's something to do with common humanity isn't it Mm, exactly well i think we are just instinctively uh set
2: up to be more interested in faces other human faces than almost anything else we look at possibly anything at all because you know it's it's the thing that gives us so much information about Things that we need to know right now who 's this person who 's walking towards me what 's their intention? Are they a threat? Are they a potential sexual partner, friend enemy uh, how old are they what's the, what are they thinking about right now uh, what 's about to happen? This is, you know, these were survival instincts which we know so we and this all happens without us thinking in a split second, uh, we sort of read mostly certain parts you know, the eyes and the corners of the mouth and a little bit more you know, gradually it goes expand it goes wider. It becomes less important. Actually, I saw. I think I saw that in in Morani too. Is the fact that he's the selective focus around the picture, There's the sort of face, couple of it's always a couple of details of something very sharp in the clothes. It gives the, it's, it's sort of closer to our experience of seeing than actually, you know, what we what are, happened in a lot of realist art later on. Once we got used to photography, which takes every part of the image, um, and so I think that's very interesting. But yes, um, uh, you're right, There's this, you know, most of the artists' uh, reputations are sort of based on um, a recognisable style. Obviously, We so, don't believe Modigliani or Picasso were doing realist representations of, of the subjects, but you sense, by looking through the work, a bit of what was going on there um it's a tricky thing i mean that that's the great conundrum i mean how much is it your personality and your your thing and how much are you channeling the person um that's the sort of perpetual challenge and um uh, timeless
1: problem one is this, any one more question apologies for the um, no, question here in the foreground yeah um we can carry on this salon style every drink in a minute i'm going to offer johnny up to you but let's have yeah. one more official question and then um, do that. maybe, maybe a nap
0: um, you touched a bit on technology, and that's becoming so like relevant in the art world right now, especially artists like Grayson Perry using to draw his pictures online and then sending it away to get the tapestries made. Um, do you see any opportunities for this in your work, and is that something you're interested in at all?
2: Uh, using technology more? Yeah. I'd love to be able to sort of mass-produce the work and then and, and, and spend fewer hours actually having to make it myself. Um, and... Uh, Actually, uh, I remember Damien one day uh, when I was asking how, why it was taking so long to get the painting um, done. I said, Well, you know, these, these things, you know, especially on this scale, take that much longer to paint. And you know, it's like, well, well, just get people to do it for you. I, I mean, I've got some great painters at the moment. I'll send them around and you know, uh, they'll finish it in no time. Just give them the phone and they'll do it. And it's like, uh, they, I love that. I love the logic of that. Um, at the same time, the painters I like, I guess I, the people, people who like the sort of work I do with putting the same boat, you're interested in why that person does it in a certain way. And I think it's quite hard to even train someone else to paint, because you have to see things in the same way and do the technique as well. It's very difficult. Um, but yes, I mean, if it, very great if, if we can use technology in other ways. I'm just doing, I'm doing a print show, huh, plug, um, next week, <laughs> a print retrospective on the South Bank. But the um, uh, that what doing additions is an interesting challenge because you want there needs to be a sort of you know the, a fairly quick way of doing them and they need to all have a sort of consistency and a, a sort of but they also need to relate to the other end of the, you know, the paintings and so they have to be very intricately made they have to get the same feel and you also want each one to be different and I'm I'm still wrestling with how to make. You know, to, to, to give it that. At the moment, I'm generally doing it by adding bits on to the prints afterwards at the end before they, you know, before they go out. And so each one has something that's unique, but also something that is, uh, you know, um, part of the series. Um, but I don't know. Uh, yes, I, 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 don't know. I don't know if I work with suit tapestries, but I'd love to find something like that.
1: 20 seconds. Will you always remain a portrait painter?
2: Yes, in some way. I'm sure I'll veer away from it. I've tried collages and I've done a lot of work that's still ongoing about plastic surgery and how we communicate and things people do to their faces because I think it tells interesting things about our um uh you know the way we live now.
1: But I'll always come back to portraits. You did a plug, quite right. It's your night. Um, I'm gonna do one. Um the people you were mentioning technology and um artists sending work out to be made um we have a great Rembrandt show on at the moment where Rembrandt is in some ways the you know the essence really of the artist struggling with the human face among other things next January at the Royal Academy, we have Rubens and Rubens' impact on art history and his legacy. And of course, the whole studio system with Rubens and the contractual arrangements of how Rubens and his assistants and his studio worked out who did what um, will be unraveled. And that also is a show curated by Arturo Galancino, who's been very generous with Moroni because he's produced the first major Moroni retrospective outside of Italy ever. And Moroni is not an artist who's been widely known. And yet, as he says with a certain generosity of spirit and a certain amusement, he's managed to trigger all sorts of discussions about power politics, cod pieces, and whatever. Anyway, um, feel free to go back to the Maroni exhibition. Feel free to grill Arturo about Maroni, but um, come and have a drink as well with Johnny and continue the conversation about Portia. Jonathan, thanks very much. It was always a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you, thank you. So